What a good-looking group. It's amazing to see how an artisan can take a rough block of wood and make it something beautiful. I really appreciate the talent and practice that goes into woodworking, even though I don't do it. Whether it's cabinetry or furniture or just art, people have learned to take a rough piece of wood or pieces of wood and turn them into something beautiful. Some people use that talent to make wonderful instruments. And I want to tell you a bit of a story about the history behind an instrument. This story begins with a man named Antonio Stradivari. He lived from the year 1644 to 1737, and he learned how to make stringed instruments, and the instruments he made are in the highest demand. They fetch the highest prices. There are somewhere between 600 and 700 known Stradivarius instruments around the world today, and whenever they are sold, they're sold for millions of dollars. Well, part of this is limited supply and demand, since the number of Stradivarius instruments made by Antonio himself will not increase, but only decrease as the accidents happen and those sort of things. Additionally, is the reason that these instruments have a quality to them that produce such a rich sound that many musicians would give their right arm to have one. And of course, if they did give their right arm to have one, they would not be able to play it. That would be a little ironic. The question that musicians have tried to answer for decades is why? Why do these instruments sound so good? What was the secret of Antonio Stradivarius? Of course, he's dead. He can't tell anyone the secret. Apparently, he never shared it with anyone. Some say it's the density of the wood he used, since at the time that he was alive, there was something called the Little Ice Age, where trees in Europe had stunted growth and therefore denser wood. Others say it's in the design itself, but modern copycats can't get the same result, even copying his design. Some have thought maybe it was the unique lacquer he used or the glue that he used, but one musician who owns one says that it is a thousand things that come together to make this instrument so special. And every one of these unique masterpieces of woodworking started as a rough piece of wood. I want to tell you the story of one particular Stradivarius violin, which is currently in regular use by one of the superstars of classical music of our time, a man named Joshua Bell. Anyone heard of Joshua Bell? All right, I knew Janine would have heard of Joshua Bell. As many Stradivarius instruments have a name, this violin is called the Gibson X Huberman Stradivarius. Bell bought the violin for just under $4 million, and he had to sell a Stradivarius he already owned for over $2 million in order to purchase the Huberman Stradivarius. It isn't the cost of it that's of interest to me, though, because money is never as valuable as a good story. This instrument has a rich history. In a town called Czestakowa, Poland, in the late 1800s was a boy named Bronislaw Huberman. He lived among the many Jews of Poland, and at a young age he learned to play the violin. And it was clear early on that he was going to become a virtuoso performer. 
And a man who was able to do it gave him a very precious gift to young Huberman, a Stradivarius violin. When Huberman was just nine years old, his name reached the ears of the composer Johann Brahms, who had written a very difficult piece called Concerto for Violin. And it was so difficult to play that not even the best players in Europe could do justice to the piece. In fact, musicians said it wasn't a concerto for violin, but against the violin. Brahms was told of this young Huberman who was said to be skilled enough to play this piece, but he was dismissive of it. He didn't believe a nine-year-old could possibly play the piece. But he was talked into going to Poland to hear the boy. He sat in the back of the concert hall so that if the young musician annoyed him, he could slip out. He begrudgingly sat while the intro to the piece was played by the orchestra, ready to be bored or angered. But when Huberman began to play, Brahms' eyes filled with tears. He was so moved by the performance. And Huberman went on to become the biggest celebrity in Europe about 100 years ago and was the most glamorous artist. Everybody wanted to hear him. And being Jewish, he was called the Yiddle with the Fiddle. Huberman put such emotion into his music that tears would stream down his face as he played. He was achieving every success in life a musician could want. Then came Adolf Hitler. Huberman's hometown in Poland was one of those places where the evil of the Nazis was fully realized. Tens of thousands of Jews from his community were killed or driven off, and the beautiful synagogue where he and his parents had worshipped was burned down by the Nazis. As throughout the history of the Jewish people, there was always a sense of being ready to move. And so one Jewish man said of the violin, it's such a Jewish instrument, you can run away with it. You can't run away with a piano. And Huberman was at the peak of popularity when Hitler was coming into power. And he saw some of the writing on the wall about Hitler. As Hitler was rising, some bad signs were there for the Jewish people. Many who considered Germany their own country found themselves becoming second-class citizens, and it would only get worse. Hitler ordered at one point that Jews could not be part of any kind of entertainment, including music. And Huberman was concerned that these many musicians would soon be put to death in Germany and other occupied places of Europe, so he started using his influence to get some out. The way he did it was to start the Palestine Philharmonic. In this way, he was able to hire many Jewish musicians and get them out of danger. He also knew that the ones that he chose would be saved, and the ones he would not, could not hire would possibly die. And so he would audition them with his back turned to them, so that the decision would be based upon talent or alone. You see, it's not the modern TV shows that first had this idea of picking talent alone by turning their back to the player. But he was always haunted by the knowledge that he played a part in picking who would live and die. Many of those he hired begged him to help their relatives as well, and so he had compassion and brought as many as he could to Palestine as well. And all told, told he saved over 800 Jews by bringing them to Palestine. And this was a very expensive undertaking. So he went to New York to have a concert to raise funds at Carnegie Hall. 
And during the concert, he was using his second violin, and his Stradivarius was in his dressing room. And while he played, the violin was stolen, and it would not be seen again for 50 years. The day after Christmas, 1936, the Palestine Philharmonic had their first concert. 3,000 tickets were printed, all of them sold quickly, and the orchestra consisted of some of the best musicians in the world at that time. And the conductor of that first concert was the best conductor in the world at that time, Arturo Toscanini, who had left Italy after refusing to play for the fascist Mussolini. And between him and Huberman, this concert was a message to Hitler and the fascists that people would stand against them. And by the way, the Palestine Philharmonic still exists today, although today it's known as the Israeli Philharmonic. But what happened to that violin? Well, after it was stolen, the man who had it was a musician. He played at nightclubs and parties. He kept his secret hidden for many years. But as he sat in prison dying of cancer, he confessed about the origins of the instruments. And Lloyd's of London, which had paid out an insurance policy years before, sold it at auction for $1.2 million. That was in the late 1980s. Eventually, it was sold as I mentioned earlier, to Joshua Bell, and there's a little bit more still to the story. You see, Joshua Bell is Jewish as well, with roots connected to that old synagogue in Czestogowa, Poland, the one the Nazis burned down. But when the Berlin Wall came down and the Jewish people who had not been to their hometown since being driven out in World War II came back, upon the spot where their synagogue once stood, the Polish people had built a concert hall And Joshua Bell, who now owns the Huberman Stradivarius, went to that concert hall, and in the same place as the young nine-year-old Huberman had played the most difficult concerto for violin, violin for the great composer Brahms, Joshua Bell, who also had tears in his eyes as he played, performed that same composition on the same instrument over 100 years later. For some of the Jewish people who were still around and remembered the painful past of the war, this was a broken circle closed once again, and a reminder that in this world, light still overcomes darkness. And as Joshua Bell now tours the world, delighting audiences with his skill and love for music as he plays the ex-Huberman Stradivarius, I thought perhaps you'd like to hear what it sounds like. So here is Joshua Bell performing Silent Night, accompanied by the Young People's Chorus of New York City, this Jewish musician playing his very Jewish instrument, which has itself a very Jewish history, I think you'll enjoy. Let's play it.
you've heard a $4 million violin. But I can tell you, I could take the same violin. It wouldn't sound like that. Antonio Stradivarius, indeed, was an artisan of the highest quality. And those who have played his instruments have become musicians of the highest quality. Many people can take a hunk of wood and do something with it, but few can make it a truly beautiful piece as Stradivari did. And few can play it like Huberman did and like Joshua Bell does today. And few can direct the orchestra through the difficult music of Brahms and other great composers as Tuscanini did during that first concert of the Palestine Philharmonic on the day after Christmas, 1936. It is enough that any of these men were able to do one thing well, whether Stradivarius the artisan, or Huberman or Bell the violinist, or Tuscanini the conductor, or Brahms the composer. But God himself is perfect in all of these. He is the artisan who took the rough wood of the manger and made it the temporary holding place of the only perfect gift the world has ever received, and who also took the rough wood of the cross and made that one of the ugliest symbols ever known into a precious and beautiful symbol to those who understand its meaning. He is the musician who puts music into the hearts of people and whose song of love stretches through eternity. And he is the conductor of the heavenly choir and also the composer who has not only written the perfect score but also assembled the orchestra and the players who would be part of his perfect symphony of love, which in this season we reflect on, giving thanks and hopefully sharing his love. He's also the rescuer who snatches those he saves from certain death. Imagine if Stradivarius had looked at that hunk of wood that was to become the Huberman violin and rejected it because it was rough. No, he saw the potential and he carefully crafted it into a masterpiece. Imagine if that masterpiece had never found its way into the hands of the virtuoso performer Huberman and later Joshua Bell. Imagine if Brahms had never written his many masterpieces, which that instrument played to bring peace and joy to so many through the power of music. Imagine Tuscanini had thought of his safety first and played propaganda music for Mussolini instead of going to Palestine to direct the Philharmonic there. We can be thankful that each character in this story played their part. God has written his story, and it is still being played out. And each of us has a part in his story, for good or for bad. We may think of ourselves like that rough piece of wood. The master artisan sees what we will become. But we may be too short-sighted to see it for ourselves. We may think we're too rough to be shaped into anything beautiful, much less useful. But Stradivari did not look at the hunk of wood as it was, but at what its potential was. And God wants us to see that he is the master artisan who can see perfectly into the future and knows what a masterpiece each of us will become. The blocks of wood that Stradivarius fashioned into the ex-Huberman violin did not have a choice. They were at the mercy of the hands of the master. But God does give us a choice. He gives us a choice to believe in him. He gives us a choice to allow him to chisel away the rough places and make us into something beautiful. The way he has chosen to do this is through those two symbols, both of rough wood, both seemingly unfit for anything of higher nature, the manger and the cross. 
The manger where in humility the principle of the symphony of love would first appear as a helpless baby. He was so humble that he allowed other humble people to have starring roles in this, the first act. Mary, who bore what appeared to be shame, being pregnant though yet not married, she was given a key role. Joseph, who would for a time be given charge as father of one who is accustomed only to a heavenly father, keepers of sheep, and others probably who were so humble they weren't even mentioned in this story, but nonetheless were part of it. The other object made of rough wood, the cross, was seemingly the final act. There in humility once again, the principle of the symphony breathed what seemed to be the last note, and the audience of the day thought the show was over. They began to prepare to go back to their normal business of life. But the master artisan, who also was the conductor and the composer of this symphony, had not yet finished the performance. He had an encore in mind. In the encore, the principal player went from humble and helpless to the conquering hero. The symphony was not yet over. And it's not over yet, my friends. But the music in heaven will be sweet, sweet music. For eternity, we will be part of God's song. I've heard people say, well, that sounds boring. I can't imagine singing for eternity. But if you ever had the chance to hear the kind of music that was played by that orchestra of world-class musicians directed by the world's best conductor that Christmas in 1936, you would know what it is like to enjoy music so much you wouldn't want the concert to end. And God's symphony is going to be infinitely better than that. To form the symphony in Palestine, the musicians went through great difficulty. Huberman had his precious Stradivarius stolen. Many of the musicians escaped death in Europe to be there. Many knew that old friends and even some family had not made it. And in spite of that, the concert was a joyful event, a victory of sorts against the evil in the world. And for the Christian, that eternal concert will likewise be one of joy and victory. And many of us will have passed through some painful and difficult times in life. We will all know a family or friends who didn't make it to the concert. The story of Jesus began before time began. But this time of year, we celebrate his advent, his coming into the world. So I want to close this message with a story that should still cause us to be in awe and wonder at the love of God, and then to read just a hint of what the next act holds for those who love Jesus. So we look at Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in the manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I give you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. First act. There's an encore to come, and we're already given a text that tells us what that'll be. So let's look to that. Revelation 21 tells us this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And I want to close with a benediction from Scripture. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And now as the... as uh, Leticia and Brandon come up. We're going to get ready for the highlight. I know the kids wait for this every year. to light the candles, right? Before, don't light your candles yet because I want to explain how we're going to do this, okay? We like to remind ourselves again and again of our mission as believers in Christ. And we call this the Christ candle, the one in the middle.